0: Many of us are trying to convince God to like us. (laughs) Yeah, whether we'll say it out loud or not, many of us, we're trying to convince God to like us. We're trying to show him what good people that we actually are, what kind of great stuff we can do that will make God smile and say, yeah, I, I I like that Larry, or I like that Caleb. I like that Emma. We want to convince God to like us. Have you experienced that personally? Personally, I've built up over the years a pretty solid resume of trying to impress God. I was the pastor of a church elder, and we were there every time the doors were open. I memorized Bible verses at camp. I presented my first devotional in front of the whole church at the age of 14, Preached my first sermon at 18. Memorized the book of James once. Read through the whole Bible in 90 days once. Invested a ton of money in a Bible college and seminary. Started pastoring when I was 26 in Kingsville, Clinton. Here when I was 31. I haven't dropped an F-bomb since grade seven. And I've never slept with anyone other than my wife. This is the resume that I've been trying to build up to please God so that God would maybe like me a little bit better, so maybe I could experience God more fully, trying to show him what a good guy that I am. What's your resume of accomplishments? We all live different lives. Your own resume, your own list of accomplishments is likely quite a bit different than my own. Maybe you're trying to raise the perfect family, with kind, obedient, and creative little kids. Maybe you're working really hard to build a successful business that's ethical and a blessing to God that others will admire. Maybe you're aiming to be that PSW that everybody raves about and just says, they are, they're so awesome. I love when their smile walks into my room. Maybe you place your identity in being the funny guy at work that makes everybody laugh brightens the room every time. Maybe your accomplishment that you're holding up before God is that you've not become an alcoholic like your mother was. Or maybe you're trying to show how courageously you can navigate the situation with the terminal illness of someone who's close to you. Chin up, pressing ahead, hoping God is noticing. There are all of these ways that we build up our resumes so that God will like us a little bit better. So God will be pleased with us. We all have our own unique way of doing this. But you know what one of God's most wonderful gifts is? One of God's most wonderful gifts is bringing us to the end of ourselves. God's looking at you and he's saying, You're trying super hard to be impressive. You're trying super hard to have it all together. But he sees you. He knows you. He knows you're actually wearing down. He knows your heart is bitter in ways that people don't see. He knows you're struggling with secret sin. He knows that you don't actually have a heart that's all open to what God's saying. He knows that you have no idea how to listen to him and enjoy his presence even though you're doing all kinds of good stuff. God knows that you're frustrated and never at peace just because you keep thinking, my resume isn't good enough. I haven't done enough stuff for God yet. You're cracking and there's no joy in it. And it's in these moments when we recognize and acknowledge our brokenness. It's in these moments that we reach the end of ourselves. And we say, I I can't do more. I'm not good enough. I don't have it all together. And I can't emphasize enough what a wonderful gift it is. It's a huge breakthrough. When God brings us to that point where we're at the end of ourselves, we say, I can't do this. I thought I could. I can't. It's a glorious gift. And so if there's anything that you walk away from this morning with, then actually, truth be told, truth be told, my is probably not going to bring you to that point if you haven't come to that point already. But if anything, hopefully this plants the seed so that when you do come to that point, when you do recognize you're bankrupt, when you do recognize your struggle, when you do realize that you still have this burden that you can't be good enough for what you think God needs, hopefully this plants a seed that in that moment, you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm at the end of myself. I don't have enough for God. And you hold, hold that up before God and invite God in more fully. So it, that'd be awesome if this kind of hits the, hits the mark for you today. That'd be awesome. But if not that, then hopefully it plants the seed for when you do get to that point. We're working our way through the book of Philippians right now, and the theme is joy no matter what. And I actually think that this series theme is particularly pertinent, particularly applicable to this message. Because there is no joy in having to prove ourselves to God, there's not. We can find joy in all kinds of other things, but true, persistent, rooted deep within us, that kind of joy that can't be shattered, that kind of joy that's real and overflowing does not come from trying to prove ourselves to God. Trying to build that resume for God is actually joy-sucking. It's joy-sucking. It'll suck the life out of you. But it's when we let it all go. We say that stuff is a distraction, it's a facade, it's a deceit, it's rubbish. It's in that place that we find joy. When we let go, when we reach the end of ourselves, that's where true and full joy can be found. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. I invite you to turn in your Bibles... Philippians 3, 1 to 11, grab your phones, grab your Bibles. Philippians 3, 1 to 11. And think about this. What does it mean as we read to receive this remarkable gift from God to reach the end of ourselves? Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The word of our Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. These are words of life. A gift to us seeing God's heart and what God has for us. So a moment ago, I asked you to to consider, what what is it that you, what's your resume? What is it that you put your confidence in? And I kind of shared the resume that I've built up over the years. And, And here we've got Paul's list of stuff. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. A lot of this stuff might seem strange to us. It doesn't mean a hill of beans to most of us. But for Paul, this was huge. When people looked at Paul in that time, the people of God, they're like, that guy's got it figured out. That guy's got it together. Look how hard he's working for God. He had it all together. And now Paul's teaching and leading the church in Philippi. He's sitting in jail, but he still has influence, so he's sending letters to guide them. And that church, there are false teachers circling it saying, You got to get circumcised. You got to get circumcised. That's a necessary marker of your faith. And Paul's saying, Hold on. This can't be a way of showing God how serious you are, it can't be a means to try and show God that you're as wonderful as possible. Paul had played that game before and it didn't work. And so he's worried about the church getting sucked right back into that same game that he played before. He saw it for what it was. He saw it as rubbish. All that good stuff that you've been building. So think think of all the good things you've tried to do in life. Each of us has this list. Think of it. It's rubbish. Paul says, I consider them rubbish, whether it was circumcision for the church then, whether it was his efforts to keep the law, whether it's your efforts, maybe you serve at the food bank, maybe you help out at blessings, maybe you took a pie over to your neighbor, maybe you delivered flowers yesterday, maybe you bit your tongue super hard when that family member was driving you nuts yesterday, and you're thinking, God, like, I hope you're noticing. Paul's like, it's rubbish. It's nonsense. Garbage. Dung. There's a bit of debate because it's always a bit of a struggle looking back into the Greek and trying to figure out exactly how these words were used because it's an ancient form of Greek called koine. It's not always exactly clear what these words mean. And so there's some debate. I mean, really, it doesn't change the meaning of the text, whether it's rubbish or whether it's dung. But some people believe that the force of the words that Paul was using actually refers to human feces. I'll just say dung. That doesn't carry quite the emotional oomph. That, uh, But I'm in polite company, so I'm just going to say dung. That's kind of what many people believe that Paul was expressing. And you can imagine, maybe if we are on a construction site, what word we might apply to that. It's worthless. What do you do with rubbish? You bury it and hope to never see it again. What do you do with feces? You flush it down the toilet. You take it to the back of your yard and you that you're from your dog and you hope you never see it again. It's absolutely worthless. And that's what our efforts at righteousness amount to. Truly experiencing Jesus is only found when we reach the end of ourselves. If you want to experience your creator, the one who loves you, the one who has saved you from sin, if you want to experience the fullness of Jesus for who Jesus is, the glorious life and the peace and the freedom, all those good things we talk about, if you want to experience that fully, you've got to reach the end of yourself. Because all those other efforts replace our resting in who Jesus is are receiving what Jesus has done. Verse 8, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. He's saying it's better. It's surpassing. All of those wonderful things I did, all the good deeds you did yesterday, they're nothing close to how it is to know Jesus. Not know about, to know Jesus. For whose sake I've lost all things. And he did. He was in prison, right? Paul was in prison. He didn't know if he was going to get out, and he's saying all those other like I, he'd love to be free. He'd love to be doing all kinds of great things for God. He's saying I've lost that, but sitting here in prison, knowing Jesus, is way better than all that stuff. I consider them garbage, rubbish, dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Our efforts to be good, our efforts to make a difference, so quickly become what we place our trust in. And so I, you know, I I gave my efforts at the start and I I don't at all want that to come across as, as I'm boasting because it's actually, it's rubbish. Those aren't bad things, but they're so easy to place their trust in. I've placed my trust. I've held those up to God and I've said, God, look at what I'm doing for you. And in the process, it makes your hard heart and it creates distance from God. It's a really sad and ugly thing. There's nothing honorable or glorious about it. There are people who maybe they can only name one or two things that they've done in the last month that they think were particularly good. Maybe they led a life that was evil and destructive for years and years and years, but they're sitting here and they're saying, I, just, I want to know Jesus. I got nothing. That's far more beautiful than someone who does all the right things for 35 years trying to please God. God. That position of coming to God and saying, I've got nothing. I'm at the end of myself. There's nothing I can do, God, to be good enough for you to like me. That's beautiful. That's the good life. That is of surpassing worth to know Jesus. It's so easy to turn our eyes from Jesus as we try to do good things. It becomes empty, It becomes joyless. All of us good religious people who we look around, oh, we're doing so many good things. Nobody knows. But if it's not founded on knowing Jesus, it's lifeless. It's worth nothing. My whole life I've believed in salvation by faith. When I was a camp counselor, I was 16 years old, and that was our theme for the year, the the verse from Ephesians 2 where it says, it is by grace you've been saved, not by works. I believe that my whole life. When I placed my faith in Jesus, I said, Jesus, I turn from my sin. I need to receive this from you as a free gift. I believe that my whole life. And I believe that many, if not all of you, have believed that too. So we know that. We receive Jesus in that way, but it is so easy for us to live life in such a way from that point, say, okay, I know I'm saved. That's good. Like, it's not in my, it might not be a question. I've never, I don't know. For me, it's not been an issue. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Like, that's settled by Jesus at the cross. So I'm saved, but now I really want Jesus to like me. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with everybody? It's not about, I know Jesus loves me. He did that on the cross. I'm saved. I know that, but I want Jesus to be especially pleased with me. And then I, I do these things. And I'm more interested in doing these things than to know Jesus. To know the power of his resurrection. To participate with him in his suffering. It's at the end of ourselves that we discover the glory of Jesus. And that's what Paul discovered. And I think I think it's what I'm beginning to discover. It's a lifelong journey. I don't expect when I'm 70 to look back and be like, oh, that was when I figured out when I was 36. It's a lifelong journey of growing deeper into, and there will be moments in which I'll live more fully into this, and then I'll probably kind of backslide for a little while and whatever. But hopefully in this journey of becoming more mature in my faith, it'll be more natural. It'll be more core to my identity just to to love knowing Jesus. And the thing is, like it's a reversal. When I love Jesus, I'm going to keep doing good things, I'll probably be better at doing good things. I hope so. Right? When we know Jesus and he pours his love into us, his love is going to flow out through us. So it's not like we set that stuff aside. It's not like we ignore the commands of Jesus, but it puts stuff in its right order so that we can have joy and freedom in it. So I'm not hammering away at these things because I need God to like me better. I've already been chatting with Jesus. We're good. I know what, what Jesus thinks about me. He's talking to me. I love being with, with the Father. I love being with the Son, the Holy Spirit. And because of that, this stuff works itself out in my life. So it's really a reversal of order here. Paul's saying that's where it's at. Nothing beats it. Nothing beats knowing Jesus. Experiencing the power of his resurrection. That's the thing. If we're not knowing Jesus, we're doing all this stuff out of our own strength. Strength. That can, that can go okay for a while, but eventually we're going to wear it. We need the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available for you to do the works of God, for him to pour out his goodness through you. And then when we face that suffering, like if I was Paul, I'd be pretty jaded. I'd be like, look what all the good things I did for you, God, and you, I end up here? How does this work? Paul's like, I don't know, it's fine. I know Jesus. And so because he knows Jesus, he can participate with Jesus in those sufferings, not getting disillusioned and not being like, God, why are you hanging me out to dry here? Because all that other stuff is secondary. Well, it's not even secondary. He said it's it's nonsense. It's rubbish. What are the telltale signs for you in knowing when you're investing in all of those things when you're building up your resume? How do you know when you're starting to build up your resume instead of knowing and enjoying Jesus? What are those signs? For me, a key sign is in the morning. And I, I, I know, like I'm speaking out of my, my perspective as a pastor. I know that's a lot different from, your, from your, what your life looks like. Um, but for me, how do I know? It's when I sit down and I start hammering away at my to-do list on my desk Rather than sitting in scripture and prayer, being with God and enjoying his presence. Because I'm like, ah, I got to get all this stuff done. I I know someone's expecting me to get this done, and I want to do a really good job with this, and this has to get taken care of. And if I reach out to that person, I want to do all of these good things. That's good stuff. But if I desire Jesus more, if I love being with Jesus and knowing Jesus, if that's what drives me, then. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to be with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to hear from the Holy Spirit rather than just plowing into all the things. Because I want God at the end of the day to be like, oh man, Ryan did a great job today. If that's what I'm hungering for, it's rubbish. It does not compare. It's not nearly as good. I might not be as productive the rest of the day, but I was with God and I heard God's voice that's what matters the most that's what will give you this joy that we're talking about this joy that paul had so what are your telltale signs when you recognize those don't resist that don't just keep grinding pull back and say i recognize god i recognize that i need to be with you that you're way better than all of the good things that I can do. Let the Holy Spirit open that door. Let the Holy Spirit take you to the end of yourself. And, and, and be wise. Don't wait till that time when you're like burnt out and angry at the world or have five situations in a week where you're just like, well, that turned out horrible. Don't wait for that. Don't wait for God. Sit with God in prayer with us and let him speak to you. Bring you to the end of yourself. And there declare, we consider all that stuff garbage. That we could gain Jesus and be found in him. Because that's that's what matters. That's what's going to bring the joy. Just one last story. I found this from a blog. This is from uh, someone named Liz Wan. She wrote an article at reviveourhearts.com called The End of Yourself. And maybe this connects with you a bit better than my own story or Paul's story. She said, God has used marriage and motherhood to bring me to the end of myself. In my single years, I took pride in my emotional stability, my innate strength, my independence, and even my lack of felt need for a man. I didn't even think I was too bad in the godliness department. Yet it was long after embarking on the ship to motherland, motherhood land, that I realized how impatient and angry I could be. I think this applies to fathers as well. And five years into my marriage, I was struck a blow struck by a blow that I was always afraid to face. Both of these instances drove me to my knees in desperation. The last seven years of marriage and motherhood have bitten chunks out of my usual stable emotions. They've showed me how weak I actually am. They've killed my independence and helped me feel needy for one particular man, the sinless Savior who died for me, Jesus We are full of ourselves when God desires us to come to the end of ourselves. That's interesting, eh? We're full of ourselves, but God wants us to come to the end of ourselves. He bids us to come and die so we can rise with him in the resurrection power he provides. In the loving hands of our Heavenly Father, coming to the end of ourselves is a beautiful thing that leads us more to life in him. Coming to the end of ourselves means walking the road of humility that God has laid out before us. It's the same road that our Savior walked ahead of us. We're called to tread the road where Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. It doesn't feel good, and it's difficult, but on the other side is freedom and life. What does it look like for you this week to come to the end of yourself?